Hey, welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you like it was to us. Let's go ahead and jump into it. John chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more than disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. This is a theme you will see all throughout the stories of Jesus. When Jesus is about to heal somebody or Jesus goes to a certain city, the Bible says that Jesus had need to go through Samaria. That's another way of the Bible saying that Jesus had set a divine appointment, amen, that he was going somewhere on purpose. And I don't know about you, but I am so glad that God showed up on purpose in my life. For me, it was on a Thursday night up at an altar at Family Life Christian Center in Kokomo, Indiana on Wall Street. And I am so thankful that Jesus showed up on purpose for me. He had need to go through Kokomo. But in this case, he had need to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Joseph well was, well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. Everybody say, the living well. Set on the well. Oh, that's good. It was about the sixth hour. And the woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask for me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with us Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. Amen. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. But this well is deep. Where then do you get that living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob who dug this well and drank from it himself and his sons and they gave it to their livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give to him will never thirst again. How many of y'all are glad you've got a drink of that water? Amen. But that water that I shall give to him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life and the woman who said the woman said to him sir give me this water that i might not thirst nor come here to ever drink again because that was super appealing to her i'll tell you about that here in just a minute and Jesus said unto her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman said and answered, I have no husband. Jesus said, you have well said that you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not even your husband. And the woman, verse 19, said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And the Jews say in Jerusalem, the place where one ought is Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, woman, believe me, now is coming the time when those that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. I love this next part. Jesus didn't mix any words. He said to her, I am he who you speak of. Amen. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked to a Samaritan woman, Yet no, but no one said anything. And they said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? But the woman, when they, then the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city. Amen. Tonight I want to talk to you about the satisfied soul. Everybody say the satisfied soul. So before we get into this concept of satisfaction, I want to spend just a few moments talking about 
uh, exploring dissatisfaction or frustration that undoubtedly will occur in the life of every believer. You will, without a doubt, go through trouble. You will experience disappointment. You will be dismayed. You will be disgruntled. You will be dissatisfied. You will go through troubles and trials and tribulations in your life. You will undoubtedly experience heartache. Things will not go your way. You will be disowned. You will be discounted. You will be discredited. There are going to be times when you look around and you say, wow, how in the world did I get here? This did not turn out the way I thought it would be. And so the first thing and the lesson that I want to teach you tonight is you will experience trouble. You will experience trouble. You will experience trial. The Bible tells us that it rains on both the just and the unjust. It doesn't matter how much you pray. It doesn't matter how much you fast. It doesn't matter how much Bible you read, how many verses you memorize, how many Christian songs you know, how many church services you attend, how many preachers you watch on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or, or YouTube or whatever. It doesn't matter how righteous and holy and sanctified you think you are. It will rain on your parade at some point in your life. You will go through trouble and you will go through trial. The Bible said, be not discouraged, amen, about this trouble and about this trial. So we will go through trouble. We will go through trial in our life. And, and, and that is unavoidable. That is something that none of us can, uh, can bypass. That is, none of us, that is something none of us can get life credit for, saying I've lived too long. I shouldn't have to go through trouble. I shouldn't have to go through trial. At some point, you're going to have a son or a daughter, and they're going to have a fever, and it's going to be after hours, and the doctor's not going to be available. The on-call nurse is dealing with somebody else, and you're going to have to take your hot, holy hand, lay it on that fevered forehead, and pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You will go through trouble. You will experience dissatisfaction. What's dissatisfaction sound like? And you say, well, Pastor Tad, I don't know if I'm dissatisfied. How do I know if I'm in a state of dissatisfaction? How do I know if I've really grabbed a hold of the Holy Spirit and allowed him to satisfy my soul completely and entirely? I want to read just a few statements, and I want you to think about these here just for a moment. If you've ever said, I'm always searching for something, but I'm not sure what it is. I have everything I thought I wanted, but I feel empty inside. No matter how much I achieve, I feel like it's not enough. I feel like I'm stuck in a rut, and nothing excites me anymore. I keep trying to fill the void with material possessions or relationship, but nothing seems to work. I feel restless and dissatisfied with my life, even, even though I cannot pinpoint why. I'm constantly comparing myself to others, and I've decided that I don't measure up. I feel like something is missing, but I don't know what it is. I'm always looking for the next big thing, but I'm never content with what I have. I have a sense of unfulfilled longing that I cannot shake. I don't feel like I'm living up to all of my potential. I'm not happy with where I am in life, but I don't know how to change it. I feel like I'm going through all the motions of being a Christian without any real purpose or passion. I have a sense of great regret or disappointment about past decisions I've made or missed opportunities I lost. I'm constantly worried about the future and whether I'll be able to achieve my goals. I feel like I'm surviving rather than just thriving. I'm always searching for external validation or approval from other people, but when I get it, it never seems to be enough. I feel like I'm stuck in a dead-end situation or a toxic relationship, but I don't know how to get out. I'm struggling with addiction or unhealthy habits, and I can't seem to break them. I'm experiencing symptoms of anxiety or depression, but I don't know how to manage those. 
If any of those thoughts have ever resonated with you or are currently resonating with you, I'm telling you right now there's a place you can get in God where God can fully satisfy you, where God can answer every question, where he can solve every problem where he can come to every trouble, where he can come to every trial. Amen. David said in Psalms chapter 63, verse 1, this is the New Living Translation. He said, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. It longs for you. My whole body longs to be uh, satisfied you because I'm in this parched and weary dry land where there is no water. David wrote this song while he was running from his own son Absalom. Everybody say Absalom. 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 Amen. So Amnon, David's half-brother, had, had essentially uh, raped Absalom's uh, sister Tamar. And David didn't handle it. King David, the father, didn't handle it the way that Absalom felt like he should handle it. And two or three years went by, and Absalom essentially murdered Amnon, and he went to Hebron. And he said, I'm going to take over my father's kingdom. And he started and he appointed himself a judge. I mean, imagine being, imagine being the king of a land and your own son basically tries to depose you from the throne, threatens to kill you and murder you and, and, and kill all of your offspring and starts killing off of your sons. David fled for his life because Absalom had, had created an army, a bunch of people who had followed him. And David didn't want to harm his son, so he didn't want to raise up his own army against him. So he fled Jerusalem. He turned Jerusalem over to a son, and he fled. And the Bible says for a period of time he was in a dry and a weary land. How many of you all know that's a situation that David didn't expect to happen? That's a circumstance that David hoped wouldn't have happened, but it happened. Amen. That goes back to what I said just a little bit ago. You can be a man who's after God's own heart because that's what David was. The Bible says David was a man who had a heart and a passion for the of God. David was a man who would worship and seek God. Yes, he had failures. Yes, he had trials. But at this point, he had been anointed to be king over Israel. He was anointed to be king over Judah. He had defeated the giants. The hand of God was upon David. His kingdom was secure. Everything about him was thriving, and he wasn't just surviving. I mean, he was in a state of satisfaction spiritually and naturally, but all of a sudden, trouble smote him right upside the head, and he found himself on the run in a place of dis satisfaction. But in the middle of that dissatisfaction, here's what David said. He said, Lord, my soul thirsts for you. It longs for you. In the middle of my dissatisfaction, in the middle of my despair, in the middle of my hopelessness, in the middle of when things aren't going the way I think they ought to go. Listen, young person, I know you got plans. I know you've got an agenda. I know you've got things that you want to do in life. But I'm telling you right now, under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, that the greatest plans and the greatest intentions you have will not always go the way you thought they were. That the Bible says you will go through trial. You will go through trial. But you do not allow, you do not need to allow that trouble and that trial to penetrate your heart. Because David, in the middle of the dryness, David, in the middle of the famine, in the middle of the desert, he prayed this prayer. He said, God, in the middle of a dry and a weary land, my soul still thirsts for you. David fled for his life. It was on the run in the desert, but there was no desert in his heart. Listen to what I said. You can be in the middle of promiscuity, but not have promiscuity in your heart. I said you can be in the middle of drug addiction and not have drug addiction in your heart. You can be in the middle of fighting and discord and dismay in your home life, but you don't need to allow that discontention in your heart. You can be in the middle of trouble and trial, but you do not need to allow that thing in your heart. 
Amen. You can get to a place where although you're surrounded by dissatisfaction, how many of us find ourselves in a place where there seems to be desert all around us? We should take a lesson from David and don't let that desert in us. When Peter was granted permission by Jesus to walk on water in the middle of that storm, Peter got his eyes off of Jesus and started looking at the storms. And he saw, the Bible says, that the winds and the waves were boisterous. And they threatened his life. And in that moment when he got his eyes off of Jesus, the Bible says the winds and the waves overtook him. And in that moment he had to cry out to Jesus, Master, save me. I don't know about you, but every, every disappointment I've experienced in my life, it's usually been because I got my eye off of Jesus. It's usually because I was praying like I needed to pray. I was reading like I needed to read. I was being faithful with my church attendance. I was honoring God with my decisions and my choices. And every place I went and everything I was doing, I was doing my best to honor God. And then a storm came. And what got me, what got me to that point in life, all of a sudden, I tried to figure something out on my own. I tried to fix that relationship or this person talking bad about me. I tried to correct the record here or go defend myself there. And when I got my eyes off of Jesus and I got my eyes on the storm, I found myself failing and falling every single time. Don't be like Peter and get your eyes off Jesus. Amen. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 that we are in this world, but we are not of it. The Bible says if the love of the world is in you, then the love of the Father is not. Come on. You can be surrounded by a thing without having that thing in you. You don't have to allow your relationship with the Lord to be defined by the natural situation that you find yourself you can have addiction all around you, but that doesn't have to make its way into you. You can have promiscuity all around you, but it doesn't have to be in you. You can have anger and rage and bitterness all around you, but it doesn't have to be in you. You can be surrounded by hell itself and still live for God. Did you hear what I said? I said you can be surrounded by hell itself and still live for God. You can be around all the filth and still live a sanctified and righteousness, righteous life for God. You want to know why that's possible? Because you could be so full of something that there's no room for anything else. This is a satisfied, satisfied soul. Did you know you can get to a place with God, young person, and maybe you're not there? You can get to a place with God where you're so satisfied that you're so full of God that there's no room for anything else. Let me get real for a second. If you find yourself searching this or that, and I can list the things if you want. I don't think we necessarily need to. right? We can list all of the, the Pentecostal naughty list if, you, if, we, if we need to list those. You all want to list the Pentecostal naughty list of all the things you shouldn't do. right? We know those at this point. I mean, I talk about them enough, yeah. But can I talk about something else? The Bible says, and I've, and I've told you this before. The Bible says we are to show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and into the marvelous light. I want to spend more time tonight talking to you about a satisfied soul, the marvelous light, what God's called you into, not what he's called you out of. Because the reality is this. If you struggle with sin, it's not because you're some special version of a sinner. If you struggle with sin, it's because you made room in your heart for that sin to occupy real estate in your heart. If you struggle with sin and you're struggling in relationships, you're struggling with things you ought not do, whether it's the Pentecostal naughty list or not, whatever it is, bitterness, drunkenness, uh, fornication, whatever those things are, if you struggle with those things, friend, it's because you have left room in your heart for those things. So full, you can get to a place in God where you are so satisfied with God that there's no room for anything else. This is a satisfied soul. 
Anybody ever been to grandma's house on Thanksgiving? Come on, the spread is out there and you eat your fill. Come on. How many of y'all have just ate so much you feel like you can vomit? Have y'all ever been there? Come on. So much that like you literally, you swallow and you feel like it gets halfway down your esophagus because you're that full. Anybody ever been there? Okay, I mean, it's just once a year. It's okay, guys. It's not gluttony, right? It, it, I mean, you can get to a place where you're so full where there's no room for anything else. And I would to God that some young people would get so full of God that there's no room for anything else. So full of God that there's no room for a relationship that doesn't honor him. So full of God that there's no room for, uh, for cursing and cussing to come out of your mouth. So full of God that there's no room to chase the likes of many. So full of God that there's no room for anything that doesn't honor God. So full of God that there's no room for the music that doesn't honor God. That there's no room for the relationships that don't honor God. So full of God that there's no room for that bad attitude. Attitude, so full of God that there's no room for that rebellion, so full of God that everything that you have inside of you is full. You can get to a place in your appetite with God that you're so full of him. I'm telling you, you can get to a place that you're so full of God that the thought of having room for anything else is out of question. So if you're struggling with God, friend, it's because you've left the question. This is why many Christians fail to live victoriously through Christ. They've left room for something else. I'm convinced that if your generation will rise up and say, no room, there's no room in my life, that God would usher a viable spirit through you, the likes that the world has never seen. You are not what everybody said. You are, I shouldn't say everybody because that's an absolute statement. I want to tell you, this generation, you young people here, you are not what so many of the older generation says you are. I know there's so much, well, this younger generation, they just don't have it like the older generation. Or this, they don't have it like we had back in the 60s or back in the 70s. They don't have it. Listen, they mean well. They don't mean evil. They're not speaking. They, just, they don't mean what they're saying. Trust me on that, okay? But the reality is this. There are, you, you, you guys have so much potential. There, there's this, there's this, this, don't listen to that critical spirit. Let me just put it that way. Don't listen to that critical spirit disguised as discernment. While we're talking about discernment, can I take a little side sermon here for a second? I am so fed up with Christians running around saying they've got the spirit of discernment, Brother Cody. It aggravates the fire out of me. Listen. Paul the Apostle told the church in Galatia that the spirit of God might, be, might infill them so that they might discern both good and evil. Right. Good, everybody say good, yeah. and, evil. and evil. So many Christians run around saying, oh, I got the gift of discernment. Something's off with that person. Come on, anybody ever heard of that? I got the gift of, something's off. you just watch. There's something off with this person. It's like, is the Holy Spirit only capable of discerning the bad things and not the good things? Because Paul said, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, that spirit will allow you to discern both good and evil. Why is it that that spirit of discernment only discerns evil about other people? Or is it that you don't really have the spirit of discernment that you said you have? You just got a critical carnality spirit that you need to get over, and that's your own flesh. You're not, you are not discerning anything because the Bible says that that spirit will give you the ability to discern both good and evil. Listen, you can call out evil, but bless God while you're at it. Say, hey, Elijah, I appreciate you, man. You are on fire for God, and you love God. While you're at it, why don't you encourage something? Why do you find the good in somebody? Quit walking around with a spirit of, of contention and a spirit of discernment, a.k.a. carnal criticism. 
Come on, that ain't discernment. It's carnal criticism. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus is preaching this message on the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he said. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That word blessed in the Greek it means happy, satisfied, or filled. Amen. The Bible says you will be happy. It says you will be satisfied. You will be filled if you hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's If is a qualifying statement. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You want a blessed life? You must develop an appetite for right living. Hear what I said. Someone who's had a little bit of life experience. If you want to be blessed, and I'm not talking about bling, y'all. Don't be that shallow. It ain't about money, y'all. I'm not talking about when I say blessed. Don't be so shallow and saying that God's going to give you money. How about health? How about a prospering marriage? How about children who are honoring God? How about a God who looks over you when the devil's after you to steal, kill, and destroy and take out your hot water heater and mess up that fuel pump in the car? Come on, somebody. Amen. Come on. You, you, you can be blessed beyond just financial blessing. The Bible says blessed, happy, satisfied, Filled is the man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. This is an appetite that you must develop. Let me tell you something. My wife has been holding out on me, y'all. She has kept Coca-Cola and carbonated beverage from me for four weeks. Okay? You all, for four weeks. The other day, she's not here. Bless God. Amen. She's not here right now. I snuck a cherry vanilla Coke. From Frisch's the other day, Brother Cody. It burnt all the way down. I mean, it burnt like nothing's ever burnt before. I mean, it burnt because I'd been so long since I'd had it. Now, my wife meant well, but my, my appetite had begun to change. My body had begun to adjust to the fact that I hadn't had that junk food in a while. And then I went back to it like a dog returning to his vomit, except it tasted a lot better than vomit. Amen. And I sipped on that. And it, bur- it hurt. I mean, it didn't burn good. It hurt, y'all. But guess what? I drank that whole 30-ounce thing in about four and a half seconds. It was like, I mean, I was sucking that down. I was like, oh, it hurts, but gosh, this is so good. Amen. But that's a really long story of saying my, my whole appetite had changed almost. Right? I still had those cravings there. Those would have gone away eventually, but I gave in. What I'm trying to say is I was getting to a point where my palate had started to change, where what my physical body was desiring changed to the point where my body began to recognize, hear me now, that it wasn't good for me anymore. What I used to drink, I could drink an entire two liter of Coke in a single day. Totally could do it. I know that's not healthy and I shouldn't do it, but I could absolutely do it, especially if there's lime involved. Coke and lime, something there, right? But my, what I'm trying to say is I, w- I went through an extended period of time where I would drink most of my calories in carbonated sugary beverages. And it tasted good and I loved it and felt nothing wrong with it. My body had gotten used to it. But when I was, when that thing was withheld from me and I was forced to drink celery juice twice a day, okay, I started to, ch- I, I'm not going to lie and say I developed an appetite for celery juice. I'm just saying my appetite for the bad things started to change. You hear what I said? I said the appetite for the bad thing started to change. So much to the point where I went back to the bad thing, my body reminded me that it wasn't good for me. Amen? 
Come on, how many of y'all, it's called conviction in the spiritual realm, that's what it's called. You go do something outside the parameter of what is spiritually healthy, the Holy Spirit will kind of put a burn in your spiritual throat and say, ah, 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 you shouldn't do that. That's not good for you. That's a chemical. That doesn't belong in your body. Don't drink it, don't drink it. But if you keep hammering down those Cokes one after another and you keep feeding your body that sugar, next thing you know your body craves it and all of a sudden you don't feel the burn in the throat. You long for it and you crave for it. I'm telling you, you can get to a place in God where you'll feel that Holy Spirit conviction burn saying that's poison in your body that's going to harm you spiritually. Don't go with her there. Don't go with him there. Don't listen to that. Don't watch that. Don't say that. Don't go there. Don't have that attitude. But if you ignore the burning conviction of the Holy Ghost time and time again, it'll be like a sugary beverage. And next thing you know, you're going to say, give me some sugar. Give me some more of that sin. Give me some of that disobedience. Give me some more of that rebellion. And you won't feel the convicting power of the Holy Ghost and you're going to need youth camp to get you on the right track again. You're going to need youth conference to get you on the straight and narrow again. And all of a sudden you'll start reading your Bible and you'll start praying. You'll start developing an appetite for the things of God. And if you're not careful, you'll slack off on that and you'll go back to it. And guess what? You'll feel the same conviction you did very back in the beginning. Why? Because you started to develop a different appetite. The Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What's right Righteousness, it's right living with God. I'm telling you, young men, listen to me. God will bless you. I said God will bless you if you have a desire to live right. Young women, let me tell you something. God will bless you if you have a desire to be virtuous and honor God with your body, with your attitude, with your choices. God will honor that, and you will be blessed. And I'm not talking about just zeros in a bank account. I'm talking about health. I'm talking about satisfaction. I'm talking about when that woman at the well was seeking everything and everybody. Jesus said, if you'll drink of me, you will never thirst again. And if you're thirsting for the things of this world, my friend, I doubt you ever had a drink of Jesus in the first place. Hallelujah. How much do you think about water when you're thirsty? How much do you think about water when you're not thirsty? I don't know about you, but it's about to get real hot here. In the next couple months, I'm going to be mowing some lawns and trimming some weeds. Laying out by the pool, whatever. It's going to be hot. When you're out there laboring and working, even in the unhealthiest of states, you're going to develop a thirst for water. There's never a time when I'm out there on the tractor swinging an axe, cutting limbs, mowing grass, bush, bush hogging, whatever it is I'm doing. There's never a time where I'm out there in the hot sun and I'm so thirsty that I run to the house and say, give me sweet tea. Never happens. I never run to the house and say, give me Coke. It's the labor it's the effort, Caleb, that I put forward that developed that thirst for water. You'll never thirst for God if you don't put any effort in your relationship with God. Listen to me. If you just go along with the lazy river of life and you don't put any real effort of swimming against the current of this world, and you just go along with everything every other teenage girl does and every other teenage boy does, and you do this and you do that, and you put no real effort in serving God, there's no real effort in finding your Bible and reading it and saying, Holy Spirit, speak to me. There's no real effort of finding a prayer closet or a private place back in the woods to go to God and talk to God, and you don't put really any real effort, you will never work up a thirst for God. But if you'll put in the effort, if you'll, and sometimes it's a grind, y'all. I'm not gonna sit up here with a microphone and hand telling you just you know being a Christian like every day I wake up I want to pray when that alarm clock goes off most time like oh God no right or sometimes after a long day at work the last thing I want to do is go on a drive and go pray because when you get older there's no privacy sometimes you got to go on a drive to pray or go on a walk that's just the way it works but what I'm trying to say is not all the time 
am I just ready to go pray? Not all the time am I ready to pick up my King Jimmy Bible and start memorizing scripture and pouring it into my heart. But you know what I recognize? That if I hide the word of God in my heart, I won't sin against it. I recognize that if I don't put the word of God in my heart, I stand every chance of violating that word of God and doing that which is contrary to the word of God. I realize that if I don't go seek out the Holy Spirit's help, it won't be long. In fact, it'll be probably hours. It'll probably be days. I mean, I could probably skip praying for a couple hours, but listen, y'all, I don't know about you. Maybe I'm worse than you are. Maybe you guys are better than me. But if I go just a day or two, right, and and I'm telling you, I know what's, I know what'll happen. That is not a territory I want to get into, so I, I make it a point. Put effort in to my relationship with God to maintain that appetite for the things of God. So ask yourself this question. Are you hungry for the things of God? Are you thirsty for the things of God? And if the answer is no, then I would challenge you. What effort are you putting in your relationship with the Lord? Because if you're putting effort into honoring him, you'll work up an appetite for sanctification and righteousness. Because you'll realize the only real way to live for God is through his help. Amen. During the Feast of Tabernacles, so the Feast of Tabernacles is a Jewish feast, and they celebrate bringing the Jewish people through the wilderness. The Feast of Tabernacle was when the children went through the, went through the wilderness, they were in a dry place, and God, y'all remember the story, God brought the water out of the rock, the rock followed him, and God provided them water, all right, he, he sent everything they needed, and so the Feast of Tabernacles is an annual time where the Jews commemorate the satisfaction of God, how God sustained them and brought them through this wilderness jersey, journey. Jesus, John chapter 7, was observing the Feast of the Tabernacles. During this feast, part of the ceremonies, the priest would take water and he would pour it upon the altar as a reminder of their dependence of God in the wilderness, specifically for water. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 37, the Bible says he stood up and cried with a loud voice. So this wasn't just timid, you know, Mary's little lamb Jesus. This was you den of vipers Jesus, right? He stood up and he spoke and he cried with a loud voice. And listen to what he said. He goes, if anyone is thirsty, let him drink of me. I mean, imagine this. You've got, a, you've got thousands of Jews surrounding you, and you've got the priest in his robe standing there, and Jesus and his disciples. Imagine Jesus sitting here on the front row, right? And, and, and the priest comes to the altar, and he takes this water, and he pours it out the moment of that feast where everybody realizes that in the wilderness, God provided for us. God was our sustenance. God gave us satisfaction. And here comes Jesus just sitting there, and everybody's watching. And Jesus stands up and screams, and he looks. He goes, if anyone drinks of me, if anyone thirsts, let him drink of me. He'll never thirst again. Now, this wasn't like everybody believed Jesus was the Messiah. This is Jesus saying, if anyone thirsted me, let him drink. I love the anyone part, and I'm going to save the rest for later. He goes, if anyone. Jesus was plainly saying that if anyone wanted God, all they had to do was seek him. That's it, young person. I'm not any more special than you. Brother Cody's not any more special than any of you other young men. Brother Caleb's not any more special than any of you. If you've sat there and you look and you see Sister Ashley or Sister so-and-so get up and operate under the anointing of God and God work through them, or if you're standing there and you see a young preacher get up and you say, man, they, got, they don't have anything more at their disposal than you have, right? All they have is an appetite for the things of God and they desire to pursue God because the Bible says if anyone, look to your neighbor and say, anyone. Jesus was plainly saying that if anyone wanted God, all they had to do was seek him, desire him, pursue him. If anyone tells me there's enough for everyone. <laughs> Amen. Did you catch that? 
When Jesus said, if anyone thirst, he didn't say, if the Jews thirst. He didn't say, those who have grandpas who are Pentecostal preachers thirst. If he, he didn't say, those who have grandmas who prophesy thirst. He said, if anyone, no other qualification, being a one, being a person, being someone on this planet. He said, if anyone thirsts, that tells me that there's enough for everyone if Jesus didn't further qualify. Because he took the risk that everyone would want it. And if everyone wanted it, he was saying, I've got enough for everybody. Amen. How many of y'all are glad that he's got enough for everybody? Jesus said, drink of me. Jesus is the well that will never run dry from Isaiah. I'm going to read here. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 talks about broken cisterns. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. This is what God was saying. About the church, about the people of God back in history, but also about the church today. My people have committed two evils. One they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have hewn for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. How many are trying to fill their lives up with popularity, acceptance, beauty, favor, broken wells? No matter how hard you try, that thing will spring a leak. John chapter 4, Jesus meets this woman of Samaria. He says it again, anyone who drinks of me will never thirst again. The Bible says in our very last verse, verse 28, the Bible says she left her water pot and ran into the city. See, this wasn't just any ordinary woman. Very long story short, she was a woman who was shamed and rejected by the other women in society. The women's duty at that, at that time was to go to the well because they didn't have, you know, faucets back then. They had a well outside the city walls, and the women had to go get wells, water from the well, typically early in the morning or late in the evening before things got real hot. And there's no mistake that the Bible says that Jesus sat on the well because he was tired and exhausted from the heat, being that it was the sixth hour, right smack in the middle of the day. The Bible tells us it was the middle of the day. And this woman shows up, not with the other women, laughing and giggling about what their kids did and the cute things that their grandbabies said, but the shame of isolation and being alone because she was a sinner woman. She was a woman without God. She was a woman who wasn't satisfied. So she had her water pot go into that well to get water. And there Jesus met her, the living water. And he offered her a drink and said, I'll satisfy your soul. And she became satisfied at that moment. You want to know how she became satisfied? How I know at that moment she was satisfied? This wasn't a progressive work for her. And I appreciate the progressive work that God does in people. Sanctification is a progressive work in our life. If we're taught, at least doctrinally, we believe that. You want to know how I know it was instant, instant satisfaction? She left her water pot. The Bible says she left her water pot and ran into the city. She goes, I'm not coming back here. Now, now we know that Jesus meant spiritual satisfaction. But I wonder how many are willing to leave their water pot tonight, that thing. But I don't know what your water pot is. I'm going to hit on the usuals because that's just what I do. That water pot could be the relationship with that boy. The water pot could be relationship with that girl. The water pot could be your music choice, your entertainment choices, the bad attitude you have, the resentment you're holding towards somebody else, whatever that water pot is. All those places you go, maybe it's your followers on Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook. Maybe it's the likes and the thumbs ups and, and you seek after that. That's your satisfaction. The relationship with him, that friend group of yours, that's your water pot. You're trying to get satisfaction from all of that. But that woman met Jesus and in that moment she says, I'm leaving it all behind. A couple chapters later in John chapter 6, Jesus fed the multitude. He says, I'm the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Listen to this, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 2. Why spend money on things, on, why spend money on what is not bread? And why do you labor for what does not satisfy? Why are you working so hard? Young woman, listen to me. Young man, listen to me. Why are you working so hard on something that will not satisfy? Here's what Isaiah said. Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. See, until you and I get to a place with God that we would truly seek to allow him to satisfy, our flesh will always pursue something else. Something easier. Something quicker. Something with less effort. Until the cross is more than a story. Until Christ is more than a Bible character. Until prayer and fasting is more than an obligation. Until worship is spirit and truth. Until consecration to the things of God is more than a show that you put on when you're around your church friends. Until knowing that God sees the deepest intent of your heart. And that that's enough to keep you walking righteously on the straight and narrow. Until he means more than that boy or that girl. Until the love of one captures more of your attention than the likes and streaks of many. Until God's plan for your life supersedes the most thought out future you have of your own. Until a divine disruption from him trumps everything else. Until a moment in his presence is worth more than a thousand anywhere else. Until you're willing to be a janitor in God's house and to dwell with the popular crowd and wickedness. Until you would rather suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy one more pleasurable moment in your sin. Until your cry is, God, less of me, more of you. Until obedience to God's word is the only option, no matter how hard it is to abide by. Until that's true, you will thirst again. But if you can ever get to a place where you realize allowing God to satisfy doesn't mean a restricted, boring, isolated from fun life, but that it's fullness, it's completeness, it's peaceful acknowledgement and trust that all things are under his care. I need not search anywhere else. Until you get to a point where the search is over, I found the one in whom my soul delights. You'll spend your entire teenage life searching. You'll go into your young adult life with children who desperately need you to make up your mind now before you have them. You'll spend your life as a married man whose spouse desperately need you now, young man, to make up your mind. Young woman, your husband needs you now to make up your mind that you're going to be satisfied, that he's the one in whom your soul delights. Look around. Any of you who have been around here for more than six months can look around and think of 5, 10, 15 people that should be here that aren't here. I've been around this church for over two and a half decades, almost two and a half decades. I could, Brother David Willis in the back, that brand new square that we want to build, we can fill that thing five times over. He and I, just naming names right now, I guarantee it. No doubt about it. We could probably talk for 45 minutes and not name the same name. One name after another. Why? These are people who had an encounter with Jesus but took their water pot with them afterwards. Had an encounter with Jesus and said, thanks for a drink. But never allowed him to fully satisfy their heart. I think about those disciples. Three and a half years, Cody, they were with Jesus. 
walking on water. Healing the broken limbs. Leprosy being cleansed. Blinded eyes being opened. Deaf ears being unstopped. Dead being raised from the to life again. Demons being cast out. Voices coming from heaven. This is my beloved son. And I mean, a, 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 a verbal acknowledgement that he was the son of God. For three and a half years, the disciples witnessed it all. But you know what the Bible, after he was crucified, the Bible says they all forsook him and fled. These are those who saw miracles, hope. These are those who saw blinded eyes open. But when the going got tough, when the going got tough, being in the presence of Jesus, oh, hear me now, being in the presence of Jesus around him, associated with him, wasn't enough to keep them. But out of obedience, they went to that upper room. The Holy Spirit of God came down, and that help infilled them. And at that moment, their soul became satisfied. Jesus was no longer physically present with them, but they were willing to hang and burn for him. They were willing to be dipped in tar for him. They were willing to be dismembered and disemboweled and cut open for him. They were willing to be all mannered evil and martyrdom and persecution against them. Why? Because the Holy Spirit made up the difference. Listen to me, young person. You're under the sound of my voice right now, and you've associated with Jesus by nature of being here in this ministry. You've associated with Jesus by nature of being here in this church and other Christian people. You have witnessed the work of Christ. You have witnessed the greatness of Jesus. You have witnessed what God is capable of doing, but you've not allowed his Holy Spirit on the inside of you, and until you get to that point, you will never be satisfied. And going gets tough, you will forsake him and flee, and you'll be another name on David's list. You'll be another name on my list of someone I wish would have heard the preacher and yielded to God and sought the Holy Ghost because it's the Holy Spirit that will satisfy you. It's the Holy Spirit that will satisfy you. Father, God, I thank you for the opportunity to bring this your word you instructed me to, to these young people. God, I pray that in spite of the fanfare and boisterous voice, that your spirit did the speaking tonight to the hearts of young men and young women who need to make up their mind tonight that their soul will be satisfied in you. God, I pray that young men and young women will develop some longevity of the spirit tonight. God, that they'll make up their mind that they'll be here in five years. That they'll be here in ten years with spouse and children in hand, serving and honoring God. God, that they won't seek the satisfaction of this world because your Bible says if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. But God, get us to a place where we are full of you and there's no room for anything else. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. If you were blessed or encouraged, go ahead and subscribe to the Impact Podcast and share it with a friend to bless them too. Connect with us on Instagram at impactym and remember, you can have as much of God as you want.